This week, we revisit a past episode that's a favorite of ours. So please sit back and enjoy this special best of presentation of Living the Call. If we're going to do anything, it's got to be done well. It has to be well-written. It has to be as beautiful as we can make it to be with the amount of money that we have. We have to be responsible for each other. And as an artist and, and as somebody who creates, as somebody who's the president of a media company, I feel a responsibility to put things out that are going to lead people closer to heaven. How do we use story to convey the gospel message in ways that are compelling and true? What kind of conversion are we personally called to have within the different settings we encounter as creators and consumers? In today's episode, actress, singer, songwriter, and president of G.K. Chesterton Entertainment, Maria Vargo, shares her story of how God used brokenness and creative talent to deliver a message of mercy. What is God calling us to do? To be his face of love and mercy. And does that bring people to him? Yes, it does. <laughs> whether you're acting it, whether you're you know, acting it out in your daily life, or whether you're talking about it. I mean, it's just so beautiful to see how he's used my life and, and the sinfulness of my choices and actions. But on the other side, giving my heart to him and my life to him through my work, the beauty of what he's done. Our lives are meant to be God's instruments in the world. When we come to the realization that God operates through our own unique creative gifts, we are more capable of performing our role in the great drama that is the history of salvation. This is Living the Call. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. It really, really is. I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, I got a chance to see, I think as you know, obviously pre-COVID, all of your live performances with Faustina. I was blown away to actually read that you did 300. Is that real? 300? How do you do 300? Over of, 300. <laughs> and where was that? Like where, all in the U.S.? And Canada. Got it. It's like a North American Almost deal. four years that I traveled. It was um, intense, but beautifully life-changing in many, many ways. How'd that come about? I was I was the artistic director of the G.K. Chesterton Theater Company, which was a, a company that had started here in Los Angeles. I had come on board to direct some plays for them. Then they asked me to be the artistic director. And then one of the last plays that I directed was about Claude Newman, who was an African-American man who had committed murder and was in jail and who received a miraculous man. I don't, do you know this story? No, I don't. But I remember he, something related to you about this story. Maybe well, you told it to me or I heard it somewhere else. Well, I directed the show. Or, I, or maybe I produced it and directed it yeah. in Santa Monica. And I actually played a nun who was one of the very few female roles in the show. And so long story short, I was, I was performing on stage and a woman came to see the show and she had worked for St. Luke Productions, who produces these one-person shows about the lives of the saints who mm -hmm. travel. And the owner of that company had reached out to her. She had played St. Therese many, many years prior. And he said, um, I, I'm thinking about doing a show about St. Faustina. What do you think? Would young people be interested in this? And she said, yes, I definitely think so. And I know the woman who should play the role. And so she, she um, put us together. Mm. Of course, they had me audition. And I prayed a lot because I wasn't sure I wanted to be on the road. I knew it would be a tough gig. <laughs> I bet. To be traveling and working. Did, did you have a devotion to St. Faustina at that moment? Or did you know much about her? I didn't. I had never read the diary. I had um, prayed the chaplet with my parents in their prayer group before, but I didn't know the extent of divine mercy and really the power of divine mercy. So. Her story is crazy interesting, too. I mean, she's, I mean, all the saints, but I mean, her story is amazing. Yeah, just, uh, I always say that it was, it's interesting. I mean, God knows what he's doing with all of us, right? And how mm -hmm. he's using our lives and guiding us. But I had had a deeper conversion in my life in 2008. And then, so fast forward, I, I ended up getting the role of Faustina in 2013. But I was going through this period in my life where, even though I had had the conversion and, and Jesus was definitely forefront in my life. And, and I was trying my best to live my life in, in union with the church and its teachings. 
I was going through some personal things in my life where it was somehow the the loss and the, what I was going through was pulling me away from Christ being in the center. Mm. And so getting the role of St. Faustina every night, I mean, she, if anybody knows anything about St. Faustina, she loved Jesus more than anything. <laughs> got the market cornered on that one. So yeah. every night I got to fall in love with Jesus and put wow. him first. And so it was, I mean, there were many blessings that came out of playing the role and, and all of the people that I met, but getting to fall in love with Jesus every, every day, every night through the performance, recentered my life and showed me who's first, mm. who has to always be first in everything that we do. And mm. that's, that's Christ. Are you, are you praying as you're performing? In Definitely. Other words, is the performance a prayer? Like yes. what's going on interiorly? <laughs> it was a living prayer. And what was so beautiful is that I could bring to, to if you please, I I tell everybody who's listening, if you haven't read the diary of St. Faustina, please read it. We'll include a link in the show notes when for When you read the diary, it's it's like Jesus is, because Jesus appeared to her. So these in the diary is not only her kind of spiritual thoughts and prayers, but also their conversations. So when you read the diary, for me, it felt like Jesus was talking hmm. directly to me. So fast forward, getting to play the role and actually the show, Jesus is talking to me. You know, we had uh, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Jesus, was recorded on the screen. And it was a talk about media. And it, it was a multimedia performance because I was the only live person. But I then remember. all these other mm -hmm. actors are on the screen. So every night I had to play this, you know, interactive media movie, <laughs> live movie performance with Jesus. And... I, you know, I could bring to, you know, what I also love about Faustina is she got tempted by the devil. Mm -hmm. She had her doubts. She had people attacking her. Um, she had people who didn't believe her. She was normal person. I mean, obviously chosen, highly favored by God Amen. for this experience, but she was a normal person as well who had to fight these things. So every night as a, as a normal person, Maria, I would bring to the performance, everything that I was dealing with. I had a friend who was dying at the time. And so as he was sick, I would just pray every night and, you know, offer up my performance for mm. my friend Tom and would pray for that. Or if I was frustrated with the girl I was working with or <laughs> with my boss or whatever it might be, just normal life or mm. my personal relationships, I would bring it into the show. And the words of St. Faustina talking to Jesus, they're just it's every heart's words. It's every heart's dialogue. Sure. It's your dialogue. It's my dialogue Sure. when you read that diary. So yeah. that's why you can relate to these saints because they do have the same experiences in a lot of ways that we do, especially in the internal struggle of why we're here, what we're doing, how we're doing it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a living, breathing prayer. And Faustina specifically, too, because... She not only got a chance to experience extraordinary mystical phenomena and got a chance to, I mean, talk to Jesus consistently over a long period of time, but then she was also sent out into the world to do things that required a tremendous amount of courage, right? Where people are going to say, yeah, that's kind of crazy, like, you know, to go make this painting that will be venerated throughout the world. And I mean, she got sent on these, these tasks, right, by our Lord that probably put her in the face of a lot of potential ridicule and consternation, even inside the church, or especially, I guess, inside the church. Mm -hmm. And I think the fact that Jesus continued to reassure her, you know, she'd come back and she'd say, they don't, they don't believe me, they don't want to do it. And he'd say, I will, I will make it possible. Mm. I will make a way. And he did. I mean, even even after her passing, there were still so many the church still had issues with the diary or the sure. translation. And Pope John Paul, St. John Paul II, was actually the one who really, you know, being Polish and knowing the devotion, who fought for it when he was a cardinal um, to get this diary back out there and going and get it translated properly so that there wouldn't be any issues. And then... You know, he made her a saint. <laughs> One of the things I remember, I'd love for you to share maybe your, if there is a favorite Faustina story. But one of the things that I always thought, to your point about her being superhuman and just 
like very normal, very much like any of us, is when she goes to the painter to have the painter kind of like, here's, I'm going to explain to you what happened and you're going to put it on this canvas. And then the guy comes out with the picture and she like starts bawling or something. <laughs> She's like, that's nothing like what I saw. And just this, lim this limitation, which of course is so natural. I'm yeah. like trying to explain what God looks like, right? It just, it always struck me as this, like the limitations, even of art, right? The limitations even of that relative to the beatific vision is like, mm. doesn't come close. Yeah, she's, <laughs> I love that moment. She's like, no! <laughs> she's just like, he's so much more beautiful than that. And that's the thing. We she's can't... probably trying to be nice too, right? In some level, she's like not trying to hurt the guy's feelings. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know, but it's just, it's, she was, imagine being just so in love with somebody and somebody mm. comes out with some likeness that's not at all like, you know, mm. it's disappointing. And she worked she really worked with that person to try to get it. But actually, that image is the one that I have hanging in my bedroom. I mean, there's, you know, a few different Divine Mercy images out there. But I do like that one that's in, I think it's in Vilnius, uh, however you pronounce that, Lithuania. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and I hope to go see it one day. But That'd be cool. It, but it's, it's such a, I actually like kind of the old style of it and the look of it. And I, and the, the way OG. that. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. So. I mean, beautiful for what we have. We have to appreciate what the limitations that are put on man, right? Of course. Um, but it, it is, I think, you know, in my own life and work and art, talk about, you know, beauty. And that's, I think that if we can create something or try to create something as beautiful as we possibly can in our human limitations, that we ha are showing the face of God through that. Absolutely. I got to imagine if you're doing 300 shows in multiple countries, You've got to have some incredible stories of folks saying, like, oh my words that they said or a conversion. I mean, it's got to be crazy. Well, so many. It was beyond. I was. It was very humbling. Every night, I would, I wouldn't go change. I would go to to the door and I would meet people as they were walking out. And the amount of people who were just crying and sobbing. I mean, and not. It's not me. It's not. And I dare say it's not even Faustina. Faustina was the messenger of mercy. That's what God called her and what she called herself. It's the it's the divine mercy of God. Mm. It's the true love of God's mercy telling us that there is nothing that we can do that can ultimately, if we if we desire to turn to him, he is there waiting for us. You know, that the if we leave the door of our heart set a jar just even just even a little bit that he will flood in and come mm. in with his grace and his mercy and so and also what was beautiful about the the show that we did and and they actually we made a movie that should be coming out i pray to god this year awesome. um that was based off of the stage play we shot it when i finished performing and it's just been little bit of I think they've had more more work than they had planned to get it done because we shot a lot of it on green screen but I'm hoping praying that it'll be out this year but there's you know there's another side to the story so in in our portrayal in our show it's a, a modern woman telling her story of sin I also play that woman and some of that story is also my own life story and so you're watching Faustina and her encounter with Jesus and divine mercy. And then you're also seeing this woman who's lived a life of sin and going away from God and who's desperate to, to find God again. And also a story of a man who's dying, who needs God's mercy. And so these three stories interweave together. And so the audience member is watching divine mercy in action. In action. And so That's when people cool. would leave, they would just be, there would be some instantaneous conversions of people's hearts and and women and men and men. I would always be amazed at how many older men were crying. It was mm. really men, you know, you always think women are more emotional. <laughs> but these men, it was like their hearts were just broken open and they were so moved. And I got a story um one time I'm a, a man so story always moves me but there was a transgender man who had come into the church when we were setting up we were in i think new mexico or arizona he had come into the church to pray and we were setting up for the show that evening and i'm just bold and 
try to live by my intuition and instinct. And I went over to him and his friend or family member, and I saw them praying. And I said, there's a show here tonight. If you don't have anything to do, it's about God's mercy and I'd love for you to come. And he did end up coming with his family member. And after the show, he came to me and he said, my father died today. Hmm. And he said, I've had a very horrible relationship with my father. He was abusive and, hmm. uh, you know, went on to tell that, which I'm sure had an effect on his choice of being transgender or however that happened in his life. And he said, I went to see him and was at his bedside, but it was so hard for me to forgive him. I yeah. wanted to forgive him, yeah. but it was so hard for me to forgive him. And I went, came to the church today looking to ask God to help me to forgive him. Wow. And he said, you helped me tonight. Mm. And he said, I feel like you. <laughs> or, you know, he related so much to the stories on the screen. And, and I was just like so moved by how God was working and so beautifully changed this person's heart. And and another woman who had had multiple abortions, who had never been able, you know, multiple abortions and divorce. And she saw the, the show and she wrote to me later and she just said, I was so moved that I finally went to confession. And she was in her 60s. Wow. And she said, I finally went to confession and confessed my sins. And she said, I just feel so Brand new, you know. There's just so many stories. I would I would keep a journal. <laughs> it's it's amazing to me always to hear about the way the lengths that God goes and the kind of tapestry that He weaves to have all these things kind of interact and touch, right? Because He's always putting that together. Um, one of the reflections that I sometimes find a way to weave into either talks or homilies is of Saint Padre Pio sitting at the feet of his grandmother as she was sewing or cross-stitching or something. And he would look up and all he would see is the mess of like yarn and thread and the needle poking in and out. And then he, when he stood up and he looked at it from this perspective, right, looking from the top down, he saw the like beautiful thing that she was doing. Mm. And that really struck him as a example of, of, of God's weaving of these things that are very disparate and from our vantage point, oftentimes we don't know what's happening, right? But it's with the perspective of either grace or ultimately in heaven that you can see how all these things are kind of, you know, because of course the guy, the transgender guy, not a coincidence, he's there, you're there, that you invite him, that he goes, that his dad, I mean, like all those things, it's impossible to write that story, right? Only like God could have put that thing together. I'm always blown away by stuff like that. Yeah, I'll tell you, um, so... For me, I think of my own life and and just being chosen to play that role and how having having a life that was, you know, I mean, I grew up Catholic, born and raised Catholic. Um, I went to church, didn't always go to confession. I always had a very strong-willed spirit and kind of did my own thing. No. One, yes. <laughs> Which the Lord knew, you know. I mean, he gave me these gifts in a lot of ways. But um you know, for whatever reason, as a young person was kind of always looking for love in the wrong places and being, um, you know, having just this kind of hole of even though, you know, I had a wonderful family and all these things. It's just like I was still looking for for love and in, in the wrong places. And so at a young age was, um, you know, sexually active and then did drugs and everything else. And and so even last night I was thinking about my life and just um, all my mm. sinfulness as mm -hmm. a, at an early age. And um, and then had a deeper conversion, which was beautiful in 2008 and chose to renew my abstinence and and really change my life and, and live according. I'm giving you the very quick cliff notes of this story. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, so don't worry. <laughs> but, you know, I had been hired to play St. Faustina. I had... Um, done a, a rose novena to St. Therese to give me confirmation that I should even do this, which I received on Divine Mercy Sunday, the rose, um, to, in answer to prayer. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. Um, but I was praying the rosary. I, at the time, I was leading a novena to the Holy Spirit in the media mm. at, over at St. Victor's in West Hollywood, and I did it every month, every first Friday. I'd been doing that for months. 
And at this point, I had gotten the role. I was leading the rosary, and I, they had this um, image of the Blessed Mother that's on the wall, and I always would look at her while I was praying from the from the pulpit or the ambo area. And I heard the devil say to me, who you? Hmm. You, you sinner, you're going to play a saint? And immediately it was, uh, you know, the, and I don't hear God's voice like, hello, Maria. <laughs> but I, I, I feel Funny, like. because I do. Oh, do you? Yeah, no, <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, but I hear, you know, just those little things inside. And, and it was like an immediate answer of who better than to share the message of my mercy than someone who has experienced it firsthand. And that was it. It was like, that shut the devil up. <laughs> and he has. I mean, it's just so beautiful to see how he's used my life and, and to talk, go back to what you're saying about Padre Pio and the, the messiness and, and the sin, you know, the messiness of my life, the sinfulness of my choices and actions. But on the other side, giving my heart to him and my life to him through my work, the beauty of what he's done is just beyond. I mean, and it's very humbling to me, just all the people who've been touched by by the Lord using me as a vessel through my music, through my acting, through my directing. It's just. It's also super counterintuitive in a way, right? The way that God works, because we tend to think in, you know, human success metrics and things like that. I had a friend of mine not too long ago who did a little podcast on his own and he was looking at all his analytics. He's like, I tried so hard. I tried so hard. And I, you know, I, I can only get, I was like, there was nobody listening. It was like 10 people would listen to an episode. And I told him, I said, you know, we worship a God who is so extravagant. He might've created the entire podcast industry, the entire industry for those 10 people, mm-hmm. literally. And everything else is just a kind of curious byproduct to that goal of those 10 people. And, and, and that's, you know, when we think about art and performance in a Christian context, you know, I'm sure the temptation is there to go, well, you know, you're playing 300 shows and you're seeing thousands of people, but then somebody on Netflix is reaching a hundred million people with something that frankly may not, shouldn't even be there half the time. And we can get in ourselves to listen to that voice that you just talked about, right? That accusing voice of like, you know because we're thinking of it maybe the wrong way, thinking of it like humans and not like God thinks about these things. Well, and and those 10 people that that person touched, I mean, who? how do you know that, that one of those 10 people isn't going to touch 1,000 people? Exact, or, that's exactly yeah. the point. Yeah. Well, and that was one of the beautiful things, too. I, I moved, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and so when I was um, a young girl, I, my dream was to be on Broadway. So I moved to New York City, and I just, I felt the call to... Yeah touch a greater amount of people. And I felt like I couldn't do it in St. Louis. I wanted to to go to New York and to be in a place where there was a greater reach. And I just look back at my life and I'm like, well, I never made it. I actually left there right after 9-11 because I moved in the beginning of 01, left after 9-11 and then came out West. So I never made it on Broadway there, but look at what the Lord did. I mean, with 300 performances <laughs> times I mean, it's hundreds of thousands of people that I actually per- ended up performing in front of, um, which is just amazing. <laughs> what what inspired you when you were a little girl? You said you wanted to be on Broadway. Like, what? How does that happen? <laughs> on Broadway, exactly. Um, well, or was it a bunch of things? I mean, I think it was my my mom and dad were they actually met in the theater my mom is an artist and painter and she was painting sets uh for the school musical and my dad was performing in it and they that's how they met so not that they ended up to go do any performing necessarily but they met that way they always liked to sing harmony and and so growing up they they watched show tunes and musicals they enjoyed those things and then i got cast when i was in fourth grade in a school play um, I got the role of Mother Nature. <laughs> well, talk about a preview of things <laughs> exactly. to come. And my mom said she came to the show and she, I was basically the narrator of the show and I had this very beautiful song at the end. And she was 
blown away because she had no idea that I could sing like or do that. And did you know you could sing? I don't know. I think actually it was um, it was my music teacher who I my I had a friend who encouraged me to go to the audition, and then my music teacher was the one who cast me. So I guess you know she was the one who kind of encouraged my talent and. So thank you to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then as I kept moving, I was very athletic as well. And I played a lot of sports growing up and, and thankfully and did well in school, but was also had this kind of wild side mm-hmm. to me too, wanting mm-hmm. to explore and do other things. And as, as life was going on and looking at what was I going to do with my life? You know, when I th- think back to fifth grade where they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I wrote down that I wanted to be a lawyer. And I think I liked the idea of, I've always had a heart for social justice. Yeah. And I liked the idea of getting up and <laughs> stating my case. Sure. I had something to say, I guess. And I knew that at, at a young age. And It's like a righteous spotlight in a way, <laughs> yeah. right? You're kind of defending and you're up there in front of everybody, but you're actually fighting for a cause. Yeah, that was that was what I thought. And I chose the, the lane that doesn't pay as much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now, did, did you... Um, because you had this sort of rebellious spirit, maybe that you've, or at least that's how yeah. you described it. Did you consciously pit that against your faith in the sense of if I have this, therefore I must not be rebellious in this context? And I ask that with, you know, think of, I don't know, St. Joan of Arc famously, right? So, like, I mean, talk about fierce, right? Mm-hmm. But kind of in a Catholic context, right? This sort of like dragon slayer or like St. Catherine of Siena, who was like, lay person, lay woman, but she wasn't going to be told no by the, frankly, the ecclesial authority of the day, right? So like rebellious, but in that context, did you, did that I idea? did a monologue from St. John of Arc before okay. my conversion. So obviously I was attracted to that as to well. To that kind of thing. But did you think of it in that context or was it more like I'm rebelling, therefore I can't be in this context? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I definitely, I think once you... <sighs> It's hard, you know, growing up knowing what's right and what's wrong, right? Being in a Catholic family, being growing up in Catholic school, you're taught what's right and what's wrong. So when you start to do things that might be wrong, on the wrong side of things, yeah, I think you start. I started to feel well. I'm kind of in for a penny and for a pound, sort of thing. Yeah, or and for myself, it was like I w- I was the girl who. And I don't know how many people can do this, but I was National Honor Society, playing for sports, doing the musical uh, during high school, but also, you know, having sexual relationships, smoking pot. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was able to kind of balance all these things. And my parents didn't know what was, you know, they were working hard and they're seeing, oh, well, that's a that's our good girl who's, you know, giving her heart. In mm-hmm. all these ways, and 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 I am a good girl, of course. You know, and that's yeah. the that's the hard part is that it's I I've always been a good girl. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm a child of God, you know, and and loved, and and it's just I didn't I think I just didn't know that, you know, I didn't know how loved I was by mm. God, and mm. and I think that's also a hard thing to wrap your head around. <laughs> yeah, it is, <laughs> especially at a young age. Um, so you're looking for looking for other ways and people to lift you up. And as a young person, I was um, kind of, I went through an awkward stage. And so I would look at the girls in my school who were getting attention by guys and they were the popular group. And I wasn't in that. And I longed for some of that. I longed for some mm. attention or... Um, and I think that kind of put me in the wrong, you know. Was it was it a super religious household that you grew up in? Um, my, so my, I think my mom would say that my dad had a conversion as well in his life. So he became a deacon in 2001. And so they were, for as far as I remember, it was, you know, mass every week. But my parents worked really hard. They had a. They had always owned their own businesses, so they were gone a lot. Mm. And so, no, I mean, there wasn't like family prayer every night 
or anything like that. I don't remember that. I don't remember. And I'm not even saying that that would be in any kind of reason to anything. I mean, I had a very Catholic upbringing, but in retrospect, as an adult, I look at a lot of it as largely very cultural, right? So even though I had it everywhere, I don't know that I, to your point, kind of wrap my head around it or maybe better said my heart around it until much later. Oh, no. Yeah, for me, too. It was very much, it was like, well, you did this, you went to church, even though... You know, my mom, so name Maria, it was like my mom had a lot of miscarriages after my brother. We're mm. only two children. And she, so ever since I was young, she, I know the story of her telling me that she prayed to the Blessed Mother to hold me up and to keep me. And that this is the reason that I'm here. So a lot wow. a lot to live up to, though. <laughs> as, and she has. As well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as a young person, it's like, oh, gosh, that's a, that's a lot. So I, I think... Yeah, it was just trying to to figure out. I just didn't really, I don't know. I think I just didn't really understand or know really what love of God felt yeah. like or relationship with Jesus and Mary. Well, it's the end of all evangelism is supposed to be having an encounter with Christ, right? And really understanding that he's a person, that he loves you, that he'd move earth and heaven for you, that he created the universe for you, that even if it was just you, he would have still done it. But that, I mean, in my experience, it does, it's like any relationship, it sort of builds, right? And like spending time with God kind of reveals more of who he is. And and sometimes we can't get there through a childhood experience, you know, as much as we might um, other times. Or And also the influence of people who are not, you know, the gospel passage about um, the prophet having no honor in his own home, right? Mm-hmm. It could be a total stranger, right? Or somebody you interacted with at school or whatever, who says something or does something, you're like, whoa. And then that just like, that moves you a whole nother step closer than maybe some book or some catechism or some parental thing may have done despite all the good intentions, right? Mm-hmm. So all these things, at least that's what I find in my in my life are sort of happening, you know, simultaneously. And that kind of leads to that. But I think that's got to be the end goal. And I think a lot of the times, I think we forget that, right? This idea of of that relationship with this God who loves you, which you now in your art and your work are trying to show other people. I mean, I think that's that's what it's about. And in my life, I mean, having, as far as my personal life, having chosen to renew my abstinence 13 years ago, mm. <laughs> a long time ago. Um, now, what were the circumstances around that? Well, I mean, for me, you know, as you were talking, I was just thinking about being a young person and you know, when I, the first time I had sex, it wasn't like, oh, I wanted to rebel and just have sex to have sex. I wanted to, uh, you know, the guy said, well, you were in love and this is what you do when you're in love. Okay, well, I was 14. You know, okay, I'm listening to this guy who's a little bit older than me who says, this is what you do when you're in love. I'm like, okay, well, we're in love. And Sounded reasonable. I mean, I right. wanted to be in love. I, I, my family, you know, my mom and dad love each other. It's like, I didn't want to just go have sex. I, I don't know if I knew what I was thinking, too as far as like if I was going to marry this guy. But I did think that my goal in my heart was to love, to love and be loved. It's always been the same, you know, even as a young person. And it wasn't, I just want to be frivolous. And But then when things don't go the way that you're, you intend them to be, you realize that the world is a harsh place and the people don't feel the same way that you do. And and you try and you try again, and then you realize after time and time again that those people don't want the same things that mm. you want. And I, I started to become jaded. And, and you know, as life continued on, because I, I still went to church. I sang in the choir at different times in my life. It was like God was always present in my life, and I wanted God in my life in a relationship with God. But I, I was scared as I got older to fully just turn myself over to him. Because I had also become attached to this other behavior that that I thought everybody did, and and most of, and most of them did. society does, and so it was really my mom during because my parents are my best friends, and I probably tell them too much, but you know, as you're getting older, and I was in my twenties, and and my mom said, you know, Maria, you can renew your abstinence. You don't have to live like this. You can. And I was like, uh, yeah, mom, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, how's that? How am I ever going to meet a guy that's going to wait? And she just kept kind of saying that. And, and you know, I, I always tell parents, don't give up on your children. Yeah. Because 
because it does sink in at times. You know, I've, there's plenty of things my mom's told me to do and I don't do them or I laugh at her. But then maybe later I do do them or I, or I listen to them. Well, it's also the power of grace. I mean, yeah. you know, God can make the impossible possible. And if you if the if you've planted that seed, right, St. Paul says, God that gives the growth. And, you know, over time, that impossible thing can blossom into reality, even if we don't think it, even if it wouldn't have under our own power. And But, you know, with him, you can. And someone else's witness also from in my life Absolutely. helped me. I had heard um, Eduardo Verostegui give his witness and testimony about changing his life. And I was like, that's his life sounds very, in some ways, similar to my life. And I'm looking at this attractive actor and I'm like, if he can do it, why can't I do it? Mm. You know, and so it did that and coupled with other things inspired me. And I was going to, I had a short film that was in the Cannes Film Festival in uh, Cannes. And so I was going there for the film festival. And years prior, I had gone to Fatima and I had such a great experience there that I thought, I'm going to go to Lourdes. And it was the 150th anniversary of Lourdes. And I just decided I was going to use the ba- the baths there and use it as a rebaptism and um, to renew my life and my abstinence and give my life to wow. God. So it was intense. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I was wow. by myself and, you know, everybody's praying the rosary in different languages and you're sitting and wait, if you've ever been to Lourdes, I if have. you haven't, go. Have. But um and to sitting there and, and praying and I'm like, Lord, and I, I had so much anxiety inside because I knew what I was about to do was I was going to truly commit myself to God. And you get in there and there's, they, you know, you take off your clothes and they wrap you in this sheet that's so cold and this Irish nun, she says, oh, darling, I was shaking because I was like, oh, Lord, what am I doing? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm the type of person, if I commit to something, I'm You're committed. Doing yeah. And so... She's, I'm shaking. She says, oh, darling, you know, it'll be fine. Just jump in the water and lay back and say a prayer, kiss the cross and get out. <laughs> and I'm like, you don't know what I'm doing, but I did it. And Because she assumed you just had, they yeah, don't ask, right? Some yeah, malady, some, yeah. And I just felt, I, I left there and I just felt like I was flying mm. high. That's beautiful. On God's grace, yeah. And then, of course, it came back to the United States and to reality of of. Uh, not pretty such jarring. great things, but um, but it was the be- the beginning of you know this deeper conversion and love for the Lord and and all these years later, you know, so making that commitment. Where there's a lot of tributaries, we could go off from that one. But <laughs> I, I, I have a I have a question with respect to um, just the idea of creation, content, media, etc. You've been doing this for for a number of years, right? And to me, the promise of the story has always been there because it's the greatest story ever told. And if we can convey it in, you know, various and sundry ways, great, we should. And in new and exciting platforms, great, we should. How we doing, <laughs> do you think? Of telling the story? I mean, how, how do you think we're doing? I mean, maybe think of it from an American context first. But, like, do you, what do you, where, where do you peg it? With respect to, you know, when you had that moment and you're like, I'm going to commit myself, I'm an actress, but I'm going to commit myself to God at the same time. From that moment to today, mm. how do you think we are doing, the church, the country, et cetera, relative to that avenue of expressing the gospel? Mm. Um, not great. I, it was it was pretty lonely. It, it's been a lonely ride. I bet. You know, um, thankfully, the Lord has given me the, that, like, when that conviction and fire and strength. I mean, not to say it's been, it's been hard, but I, you know, having relationships along the way where people didn't agree with what I was saying, I, I let it go, you know, even to the fact of the guy saying, I, I would marry you if you'd have sex with me. <laughs> what? You know? Um, but when you look at media, I mean, there's, you don't see anybody really waiting. Mm. Um, So we're not doing great as far as supporting (laughs) in our, in our choices. Um, uh, but I don't think that, I don't know if I expect more from secular society. I I don't. I mean, I think that's why it's important for people like us who 
who know in our faith. I, I do have friends that, you know, we were involved in a theology of the body institute thing. And, and, you know, I talk about it as much as I can. I share my story and why it's important and, and um, living this way and why it's important and respect and love for myself and for others. And so I think the more we can do that, the better. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty horrible. I can't really watch a lot of television just because it's so bad. The the um, promiscuity, you know, the celebration of promiscuity and lack of self-respect mm-hmm. for our um, creation, the way God made us, and and lack of self-respect for others. I think a big thing for me in my conversion to understand really loving myself was where and where I had sinned against other was others was that I was a participant in my sexual behaviors. I was a participant in creating, not only hurting myself, but hurting other people. I didn't understand. I don't think you understand that when you're young. It's like, whatever. Oh, this happened to me. Well, yeah, it happened to you, but it also happened to somebody else. Absolutely. And, and, and even as a woman, even though there were a lot of guys that pushed me sexually, I still, you know, in my own mind have ha- and heart and conscience have had to make amends with my participation. Um, and, and also, I had an abortion in my early 20s, so the, that choice as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I even went back. I felt called to go back to the, to the guy that I'd had the abortion with and, and just ask his forgiveness. What was that like? He said I didn't need to do that, but that he, I mean, this was many years later, and he's, but he said, um, he said, I, I do think about it often. And I, he had ended up having a couple more children, so I'm sure he did. Yeah. So, but it, it's just, we, we have to be responsible for each other. And as an artist and, and as somebody who creates, as somebody who's the president of a media company, um, I feel a responsibility to put things out that are going to lead people to closer to heaven. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? One of my favorite conversion stories is a guy named Roy Shulman. Have you ever heard that name? He's a Jewish convert, although he wouldn't call himself a convert. He's a fulfilled Jew is what he would say. Um, but you know, he talks a lot about, he had a a mystical experience with God, big revelation. He was walking out in nature, successful MIT professor at the time, big salary, secular Jew, not even a religious one. And just got like two by four from God, like just boom. And in an instant, he realized, came away with two, two basic ideas in an instant that changed his entire life. One of them was the ocean of mercy, speaking of Faustina, that he had been like floating in the entire time, had never seen it. And the other one was doing things of value in the eyes of heaven. Mm. Those are the two things that he came away with. What you just said about creating stuff that gets you closer to God, that has value in that context, is it, it reminded me instantly of his conversion experience, but it's got to be something... It orients you, right? Is this thing I'm about to do valuable in the eyes of heaven? Mm. Are they up there going, good job? Or are they going, oh, like, you know, my guardian angel most times, like, look at his eyes, his hands over his eyes, right? It's like, no, don't do it. Um, It's a really great kind of like barometer in a way, you know what I mean? To keep you sort of oriented. Um, Anyway, just a thought. What's the typical, like you, because you overlap, right? I'm sure you talk to people in the secular world and the entertainment industry, you know. What's the typical response you get when they kind of dig deeper and they're like, oh, Maria, oh, you're an actor? Oh, what? You know, like, <laughs> like walk walk me through that. What's that look well, like? Well, I always thought it was funny. I would take a bunch, I would take Ubers and Lyfts to the airport when I was playing Faustina. And people would be like, so, you know, what do you do? Or say I'm an actress and of course everybody's like oh you're an actress well what have you seen what have what have you been in what do and I'm like well you probably haven't seen anything I've done and I'm like well what is it and so I'd say well I'd say well I play a saint I play a, a nun who talks about God's mercy and I was always shocked that I mean these are over lift drives so they're not in media Hollywood or whatever but mm-hmm. they would be 99% of them were just so interested in the conversation. And if I led with love and mercy, 
that that's what the story is about, and that is what the story is about, God's love and God's mercy, it, it was just such a, to me, a, such a great example of what we have to do if we, to evangelize. If we want, you know, what is God calling us to do? To be his face of love and mercy. And does that bring people to him? Yes, it does. <laughs> whether you're acting it, whether you're, you know, acting it out in your daily life or whether you're talking about it. Sure. We also kind of sell God short in a way sometimes where it's like, well, we've got to go all the way to convince these people about God, about Christianity, about all this other stuff. It's like, A, he's doing all of this, right? But B, it reminds me of something my brother, who we both know, obviously, um, know that he always talks about, um, you know, the soul uh, longs for its maker. Mm. Yeah. Like the soul's always longing for its maker. I don't care who you are, right? And your job at that moment in that cab or in that Uber is to, you know, whatever, maybe it's just nudge in that direction. But the idea of I have to get you to something is kind of wrong because A, it's not your job, but B, because like it's already there. That desire to be connected with the divine is something we all long for. And you see expression expressed in a variety of different ways, some good, some not so good, right? But that idea of longing it's present, right? And sometimes we just have to like kind of take some of the crap off of it to kind of let it just pop out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, you know, I actually don't have, to go back to your question, I don't, I don't really encounter too, too many Hollywood, you know, I'm not out pitching my shows to regular mainstream at the moment. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it won't happen. Um, but I'm usually working with Kind of people who are interested in the stuff that I'm doing. And, but not to say like the other day I was in the post office mailing some of our DVDs out and this young guy who works at the post office, he's always talkative to me and, and, and he's probably 28, you know, and he's got big hoops in his earrings or whatever, but he's just really nice. And we've talked about movies before or whatever else. And, and he always asked me how my day is. And so we're talking a little bit. And this time he asked me what I do, you know, and what I do during the day. And so I told him I run a nonprofit entertainment company that's um, religious based. And he's like, oh, he's like, well, can I look it up? Can I look up your stuff? And I was like, sure, be happy to. So I wrote it down for him. And he's like, yeah, my, my dad's a pastor. That's cool. <laughs> so I was like, you never know, you know, or I've been at a winery before and, you know, people, I, I mean, I'm a singer, I'm an actress. I do have stuff you can look at. I don't know. I, I run this company. And, and maybe there's a little part of me. I mean, I'm a confident person, but there is a little part of me that when people always want to go, so well, what have you done? It's like, there's that part of me that goes, well, I'm not, I'm not what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. But you have to shut that voice up and, I just say, well, this is who I am. This is what I do. And I'm pretty upfront about it. I say, you know, I do Christian, my music. I have Christian music out there. And I, and most people are interested in looking it up, whether or not they ever do. I don't know. But do you think there's an opportunity? I get the idea of maybe you don't overlap that much. But like, you know, I could push back and say, well, Maria, there's a huge kind of like wellness and spirituality movement going on right now. How about like tucking into that with this content and just you know, almost like using that tide to say, here's why I'm here in front of Hulu or Amazon or whoever you're mm -hmm. pitching, right? Um, how do you feel about that, about, you know, tucking the story into the movement of the day if it helps us get there? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I do. Because there's do. people that feel all over the place on this one. That's I why. mean, these are things that I think about, you know, as, as a mm -hmm. producer as well and as, as somebody who watches movies and and sees I you know last year I felt like there were a, I was on the um, SAG nominating committee for uh, for the film so I got to go to all of the films not this past year but the year right before the pandemic started so I got to go to all these films out there and I was really amazed at how much content I was watching in the mainstream that I thought was very Christian um, you know, the movie Harriet, I don't know if you saw it, no. the, about Harriet Tubman. And all of what was interesting to me was all the movies that I that I really connected to that I felt had very strong Christian principle themes that were not necessarily overt, but they were there. I mean, Harriet Tubman, she heard the voice of God. Sure. <laughs> she was be being instructed by God. 
So they couldn't really make the movie about her without that element in there. So it was there. Um, Mr. Rogers, you know, neighborhood, or he's a strong Christian. So that element has to be there. Now, did it? Did they downplay it? Was it 90% of the movie? Yeah, no, it wasn't. But it was still there. Um, all the movies that I really felt moved by were had Christian elements to them. And they were also real life stories. So I was excited that year because I was like, wow, look at Hollywood is really embracing these true stories that are also just about good people living out their Christian principle, like seeing how God is working in their lives. So I was inspired by that. Um, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out the way as a producer, what that looks like and what God is calling me to do. Um, I, you know, there's a project right now that I'm trying to develop that could go either way, right? I could take it and it could be a secular project that is looking at the demonic or good versus evil, which is in most stories, right? Or do I take it the other way and tr truly highlight the presence of prayer in this fight of good and evil? And those are the things that I can take from people's opinions. But at the end of the day, I feel like I have to take it to prayer <laughs> to okay. ask the Lord, like, what do you want me to do, Lord? I want to reach the greatest amount of people. Remember, sure. that was that call that I felt when I was a little sure. girl. Like, I want to reach the yeah. greatest amount of people. And I do think that there are there are moments in secular movies and TV that people do it. But I have to be true. I have to figure out, Lord, what is your call for me? And right as of up until this moment, as I sit here with you, he's had me do a lot of very, I mean, you know, with Faustina, with the last days, the passion the days, play yeah, which yeah. uh, Jesus, um, these Lenten reflections, my music, it's all pretty Christ centered. Mm -hmm. um, I think the one thing that could be sort of approaching an answer to this is the fact that, you know, if you were, if you were running one of these media companies and you are running a media company, but let's use it as a traditional media company as an example, right? You've got TV, you've got film, you've got radio, you've got podcasts, you've got digital. One way that you could do that would be to actually create a programming strategy. And when you create a programming strategy, you're not trying to do everything with every piece of content. Your overarching strategy is trying to achieve one overarching goal, which let's just say reach as many souls as possible. Okay. And then you kind of break up beyond, like the level beneath that is kind of chunked up into different things. And here's what I mean by that to this question. I'd love your thoughts on it. One is the on the nose thing. On the nose, it's Christian, it's the life of Faustina and all that stuff. And that ultimately is sort of the, it's like the home run. It, get, it, it gets you all the way there. It's, it's the fullness of the experience. There's nothing bad about it. It's all good. Okay, that's one. The other one could be the, um, on the other end of the spectrum is the, you know, Harriet Tubman. The life and times of this great soul and she was a good person and we're just going to tell more good stories about people. And then there's something in the middle of that, the, those two, which, you know, this is a random example, but um, uh, the movie Here Comes the Boom, Kevin James, it was a story, it was like he was a MMA fighter in this movie. I don't know if you ever saw it. And Kevin James is, you know, Catholic guy. Um, he's actually a pretty big benefactor from what I understand to a lot of, uh, you know, content causes. But in the movie, movie has nothing to do with anything besides he's a substitute teacher and he has to raise 50 grand and he enters this fighting contest to do that, which is crazy. And it's like hilarity ensues. That's kind of the idea. But in the training to become the fighter, he gets his butt whooped. And then, but the guys like love him for it, right? He's lovable. He's getting beat up, whatever. And then they have dinner afterwards as, as a family. And I remember it was arresting to me because I wasn't expecting this. The beginning of that scene is the head trainer guy going, okay, guys, take your hats off. We're going to say a little, you know, prayer. And then he, he goes off into this, like, you know, Protestant style prayer um, right before they start eating, right? He gives a little bit of a tiny reflection. And it was like, it was so out there for me. It's the kind of thing that would actually happen in real life. But the fact that it was happening in this movie that I was watching is what I mean. So that, as an example of a kind of middle, it's not just like this random story, but it's not this Catholic thing. It's sort of this 
just showing the faith in everyday moments. You know what I mean? Well, I love Blue Bloods does that. I don't know if you ever watched I haven't, but I, my, yeah, my father-in-law and his, and his wife like swear by that show, but I haven't seen a single episode. But anyway, it's a long explanation, but you know what I mean? There's like, it's like different types of content that maybe could make up for getting to that ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think that it is definitely there. Um, and I, I mean, this is, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but. Tom Hanks is um, in it. Cap, no, Captain something. He's the captain oh, of the ship. Oh, the one of the pirate ship? Yeah, yeah, I forget what it's called. It's a real story, too. Real story. You know? mm-hmm. But I remember I had put off watching the movie, but I'd gotten it as a screener, and I finally watched it. And I was like, there's a moment where he's in the boat with his captors, and um, and it's a young boy, and he, he basically looks to the boy, and he's like, you don't have to do this with your life. You know, he tries to to extend some mercy to this young man who's, you know, might kill him. And I just was like, wow. I, w- I was really <laughs> happy to see a moment like this in the, this kind of big film. Um, and, and so I think there are opportunities. I know that you know, to show or like you were saying about this moment where it's everyday life or, or blue bloods where they pray before each meal. And you, even with blue bloods, I feel like there's a it's they're trying to do the right thing. And yes, I think it is important. Um, it's just it's what I, and I just go back to for myself. It's like, what is God calling each one of us to do? You know, I feel like I've tried in my life a couple times to enter into the secular world and the Lord keeps pulling yeah, me back. Go? Oh, yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want from me? Because I do. I mean, I like it all personally. I don't I don't really like the on the nose stuff. But what I go dress up as a nun for four years. But exactly, <laughs> I mean, where like, do I go? Um, but that's the thing. It's like I. It's so funny to me. It's like I personally don't like that. Don't even like the overt stuff. But right. what you said is is so interesting that, um, you know, as they always talk about, like you don't want to preach the choir. Yeah. But what I saw with my experience with Faustina was the choir actually needs preaching too. Oh, um, heck yeah. Because I preach to the choir every Sunday <laughs> or most Sundays. Because we, we're all in need of conversion, of you know, right? I mean, that deeper conversion in our lives. And so I'm I'm not sure what the answer is, that, but I hope you pray for me. That I do. The Lord just continues to, to guide me to do whatever it is that really all I want to do is God's will. So if that's on the nose, if it's not on the nose, if the Lord gives me the opportunity to work in the secular world— and to make it to make an impact and a difference in that way, I pray that I do. Amen. I think we need more shows, though. The other sort of back of the coin of what we're talking about here in terms of the type of story is the quality of the stories and the way that we do it. Right. Definitely. I think the the interesting kind of use case that's happening right now, which you're related to, um, is uh, the chosen. You know, yeah. I think the chosen is it's a great series. I think it's well written. I think the you know kind of backstories and the ways that they kind of weave things through show a real appreciation for the subject matter. But it's the kind of like story of Jesus and his disciples you would see on HBO. If HBO ever did one, you would see it there. And it's like that to me is really interesting because I think if people see that, you know, people, Hollywood people, they're like, oh, maybe there's some money to make. You know what I mean? Who knows? And, and I just don't, I don't think we've had too many of those kind of examples. Your work is great, but I've seen a lot of work that is. Frankly, it's it's the right content. It's just done poorly. Correct. I I agree, and that's why I, I I'm the writing. It all starts with the writing. The writing has to be good. If the writing is not good, if then it's just and it's got to be realistic. I mean, so many. Of, this is Jonathan, who you know plays Jesus on the Chosen, who's also our vice president at GK Chesterton Entertainment. That's my plug for my company. Um, but we. That's our commitment is if we're going to do anything, it's got to be done well. It has to be well written. It has to be as beautiful as we can make it to be with the amount of money that we have. Um, Because, yeah, there's just so much stuff out there that they spend money on that's you watch it and you're like, okay, well, it's going okay. And then all of a sudden there's a scene where you're just like, huh? What? (laughs) I could see the boom. (laughs) Like, what the heck? And then. Yeah. So, and unfortunately, I think it gives Christian art 
a bad name mm. in some ways because like I personally don't even want to watch a lot of that stuff. Yeah. So truth be told, I don't either. And yeah. that that's a problem. You know, if if we don't even <laughs> if we love our faith and, you know, are out there living our faith and we don't even want to support it. But I think it's like Faustina true. though, Maria. I think it's like Faustina seeing that first painting and going like, well, this is not at all what it is. Not it. Like what <laughs> exactly. are you talking about? It's like it's you put shag carpets and ugly furniture. It's like what I see is this beautiful thing. And it's it's sort of the downside of 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 knowing what's possible. I think other times in history we've gotten a lot closer of aligning those things, right? Think of you know, whatever, you know, the Da Vinci's of the world and all that kind of stuff where the benefactors were all Catholics and the art that was being created. Um, I know we can get back there again. I'm just saying from a sort of mass media standpoint, we've been straying from that for a while, which is, you know, gives me great promise when I, or gives me great hope rather when I see things like what you guys are doing. Um, and when I see other, you know, other good quality, like well-written things and go, okay, well, we can do this. Mm -hmm. We can do this. But there just hasn't been a ton of examples out there. And that's, I think, holding us back. You know, I think the other thing is there's a great promise to new media, right? Like podcasting, I think, is a great opportunity for people to get into this world and start doing narratives and stories and cool things. And why not? Everybody else is. And, you know, it's a lot less expensive. So, you know, there's my little plug for you for uh, GK Chesterton. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, all good things must come to an end, except for God. So um, I know we got to get you uh, get you on your way. But before we do, we're going to play a little game called Wait What, which is our kind of closing segment for the show. Um, and as I kind of tee those questions up, why don't you tell folks like what and where to follow you, your work, Chesterton, like the things you're excited about, what's coming next, that kind of thing. Definitely. So... Please, please, please go to our website, the, the company name, um, a media company and really film and television. We, we originally started as a, a theater company, but through the pandemic, we've had to <laughs> change over and do more film and television. So that's what we're working on right now and, and developing um, projects. So uh, it's GK Chesterton Entertainment. You can go to gkce.org or gkchestertonentertainment.org. We are a nonprofit, so we live and are grateful for all donations and um, hoping, you know, to continue to build our board. That's what we've, we've been doing. We're pretty, pretty young company, so I'm so grateful for all of the volunteers that we have who are helping us. But hopefully, um, we just ask your listeners to pray for us and for God's will and and to guide us. And you can go onto our website and you can purchase our. Um, you can stream some of our, our shows there, which we have The Last Days starring Jonathan Rumi, which is a passion play, and I play The Blessed Mother. You can stream that. You can get a DVD. We also have a, a Christmas show called 30 Minutes BC. It's about the 30 minutes before oh, that one Christ yeah. uh, was born. So that it's based off of, of some of the revelations of the mystics, because, of course, we don't really know what that was like. Um, so we did that as a kind of a acted out staged reading during the pandemic last year. And we have some Lenten reflections that I do as St. Bridget of Sweden. And, oh, and wow. so, yeah, I did those for Lent about the passion and what she saw. Beautiful. Yeah, I got a chance to see the, as you know, the last days I was there in one of your performances and just loved it. I mean, blown away by the whole thing. Um, so obviously we'll, we'll put all this stuff in the show notes as well so people can access all of these things. But, uh, I'm just super happy that you had a chance to stop by and chat with us and, uh, you know, just God bless and prosper all the work that you're doing and continue. We'll definitely, you'll be in my prayers and, and everybody who's listening will be adding their prayers as well. Thank you. Okay. Ready to play? I guess so. All right. Here we How go. How much do I win? <laughs> <laughs> you win just enduring accolades forever, but uh, there's no, there's no right answer. There's no, right? there's, uh, I don't know. We'll see. Goodness gracious. Okay. In no particular order, Maria, ready? Mm -hmm. Actually, this one relates to something we are just talking about. You have a pitch meeting coming up with Ted Sarandos. As you may know, Ted Sarandos is the CEO of Netflix. Okay. During the meeting, you'll have an opportunity to advance one series or feature film in, you know, as a concept for consideration. One, what project do you pitch Ted Sarandos at Netflix, Maria? Well, the one that is on my heart right now is a book that we are in the process of optioning. It's called An Army in Heaven. And it is about um, this hospice nurse who is sitting 
the bedside of, of people who are dying. And basically, I, I love what this nurse said to me. She said, the, the fight for our soul begins when we're born and doesn't end until we die. Mm. And so it's just, it's the, the reading the book gave me hope for life after death because I struggle, I have sure. doubts. And, of course. and, but when you read these different people's stories to see that there is, there is more than, I mean, I, I know that, but to, to get to hear these real life witnesses about it. And so the story is looking at this nurse's life, who's the witness, who's, who's there by the bedside, but also the people who are dying, their families. So it's kind of a ER meets seventh heaven touched by an angel. And you always need the shorthand. It's, it's this meets <laughs> know, this. You I definitely know. need that. All right. Well, I don't know about Mr. Sarandos, Maria, but you get a green light from okay, me. Okay, thank you. So that's good. Okay, question number two. Which of these is false about G.K. Chesterton? <laughs> Which of these is false about G.K. Chesterton? Ready? Number one, mm -hmm. he never earned a college degree, instead focusing his formal academic pursuits on art. Number two, Pope Pius XII made him Knight Commander with Star of the Papal Order of St. Gregory the Great. Or number three, when he was a child, along with his brother Cecil, he played with a Ouija board. Which of those three is false? Can we read them again? That's a really hard question. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't often have people in here who name their company GK Chesterton Entertainment. <laughs> no, well, so well, uh, I'm look, not was, putting you on the spot. Yeah, it was carried down to me. Okay. Carried Got on to it. me. Okay. So I'm not that huge into GK Chesterton, so I'm really guessing on this. Okay, never earned a degree in college. Pope Pius XII made him knight commander. Or number three, when he was a kid with his brother, he played with the Ouija board, which is false. Gosh. I'm going to say two. You're right. Oh, yay. <laughs> That's awesome. You're right. Actually, it was Pope Pius XI, not the 12th, that made him Knight Commander and Star of the Papal Order. He did, in fact, not earn a college degree. Mm -hmm. And he did, in fact, with his brother at some point, play with a Ouija board. So there you go. Good job. He had a conversion. So, yeah, of course. You know, I mean, yeah. There had to be some. It was all the demons some. he let in that scared him into becoming Catholic, I guess. No, I don't, I don't know. But uh, great job on that. I did not expect that. You now can continue to have your company name, GK Chesterton Entertainment. Thank you, GK. All right. Last question. You ready? Mm hmm You, Maria, need to move from L.A. tomorrow. You'll need to live, create, act, and direct in your new home for the next two years minimum. But your choices for relocation are limited to the three countries with the lowest number of active Catholics in the world. They are Finland, China, or Nepal. Which do you choose? Two years, you have to do everything you're doing now. Come what may. Create, produce, direct. Gosh, I'm crazy. Finland, China, or Nepal? I would choose China. Um, because they, they need it the most. Yeah, and I know it would be a battle, but... I feel like it would come with the greatest reward. Well, by far the biggest <laughs> market, too. There's no question about that. So um, anyway, thanks for playing. Wait, what? <laughs> and uh, once again, make sure to follow Maria and all the work that she does. You can go to gkchestertonentertainment.org to check that out. You can also go to your website, right? MariaVargo.com to check yeah. you out. Okay. Um, but uh, again, God bless you. Prosper your work. God and thanks you. for coming by and being a guest on Living the Call. Thank you so much.